The views, information, and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the speakers and do not represent Holding Short Media nor any organization that the speakers have been, currently are, or will be affiliated with. Welcome to the Holding Short Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Matheson. Today we are joined by Kendra Kincaid. Honorary Colonel Kendra Kincaid is an air traffic controller and has been with NAV Canada for nearly 21 years. Kendra is also the founder and president of Elevate Aviation, where among other things, she spends her time public speaking and working to promote the world of aviation to women. Kendra began her philanthropic journey by climbing Mount Kilimanjaro to fundraise for the Lois Hole Hospital in Edmonton. Realizing that giving to others was where her happiness lay, she then founded her first organization, Changing Stories, undertaking projects such as building schools, playgrounds, and homes in El Salvador and Nicaragua. Upon recognizing the negligible female presence in the aviation industry, in 2015, she founded Elevate Aviation, a nonprofit devoted to helping women realize their potential through aviation. Kendra's work has led to numerous projects, such as a three-year national project to dismantle barriers that women encounter in aviation, in which the status of women awarded nearly half a million dollars, opening of the Elevate Aviation Learning Center at the Edmonton International Airport, with a second location at the Calgary International Airport, and a nationwide mentorship program to empower women. Some awards and recognition for Kendra include the Global Woman of Vision Award, NAV Canada's Chairman's Award, recognized as a 2019 She Innovator with the Global Innovative Coalition for Change, a partner with United Nations Women, a Woman of Inspiration Award from the Universal Women's Network, and the prestigious Trailblazer Award with the Northern Lights Aero Foundation. This mother of four and grandmother of three is a public speaker and is a regular columnist for Wings Magazine and Helicopter Magazine. Kendra is the Honorary Colonel of the RCAF 417 Helicopter Squadron, who are now affectionately known to her as the Jokers. I am so excited to have her joining me today. Welcome, Kendra. Hello, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm pretty well, thanks. And jumping right on into tradition, how did you get your start in aviation? Well, um, I was one of those people who didn't really know anything about aviation at all. And one day I met someone who said, uh, you know, do you want to come for a tour where I work? I'm an air traffic controller. And I said, sure. You know, I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do in, in life at all. I didn't know what my career path would be. And I thought, ah, why not? And so it's funny. It was in Moncton, New Brunswick, and uh, it's actually called Riverview. And so to find the air traffic control building, it's not at an airport where one might think. Uh, you actually have to go through a neighborhood and kind of wind your way through the neighborhood. And there amongst all the, the homes is this random building. And that's the air traffic control center. And so I went into the air traffic control center and when I, um, they open the doors and you know you walk into where the controllers are actually working and it hit me. I was just like, I don't even know what they're doing, but I know I want to do it. Like, this is it. And that was my aha moment. And, and from that moment on, I just, I pursued air traffic control until, until one day, many, many, many years later, I was finally successful. <laughs> How many different types of air traffic controllers are there? 
Well, we have, um, there's VFR and slash tower controllers. You can call them VFR or tower controllers. And then there's IFR controllers, IFR slash center controllers, the ones that work in the center, which is very different from the towers that you see out at the airport. And then there's also um, one that they're not controllers, but they often, they're uh, equally as important and sometimes get left out. They're called FSS, flight service specialists. And they work in towers as well in more remote locations. I know I always think of the VFR controllers as having potentially one of the best views in aviation with the 360 degree windows, but what is it like to be an IFR controller? Yes, I agree. VFR controllers have the best view. Um, IFR controller, we work in a center and the view is not as great uh, as the towers, that's for sure. We don't get to see the airplanes. Um, our version of seeing the airplanes are little white dots on the screen. Um, and so when you go into an air traffic control center, basically what you do is you walk into a room. I'm going to, you know, it's, it's a very large room. There's no windows and there's radar screens all over that room, uh, you know, for, for the most part, um, you know, kind of lining up against the walls or sometimes in the center of the room. They're divided into different specialties. And depending on what center you're in, there's different amount of specialties. But basically, it's a dark room, has radars, and uh, a bunch of controllers with headsets on that are plugged into those radar screens. And they're talking to the pilots. And um, it's their job to make sure that those airplanes, kind of like traffic lights on in on the road when you're out driving around, there's traffic lights to, to make sure you don't crash into other cars. In the sky, we have air traffic controllers that are talking to those airplanes to, to make sure that they're safe and there's no, there's no accidents in the sky. So that's our job. What was the training like to become an air traffic controller? So for me, and training has changed. So that was 22 years ago for me. So um, training has changed. It used to be in Cornwall, Ontario. So I actually had uh, four kids and I took all four, four of my kids to Cornwall with me. My baby turned one while I was there. Everybody thought I was crazy, the crazy lady with the four kids. <laughs> um, but um, it's, it was very stressful, very stressful. Like you're pushed every day, every hour, every minute push, push, push to get better, to get better, get better. And, and, and back then really there were, there weren't, it wasn't really known as um, giving you a lot of attaboys and attagirls and, and patting you on the back and saying, you're doing a good job. It was, it's mainly like pointing out what you did wrong and pushing you and pushing you and pushing you. Um, and then you graduate from Cornwall and then you go into your, the next portion for me, that was to go out to Edmonton and to go into Edmonton en route. And so you, you know, I went into training there and it's the same thing. You're just, you're pushed every day to be better. And, um, and rightfully so, you know, to a point, rightfully so you have to get to a certain level and um, most people, you know, that that's a tough journey. And then um, for me, I ended up in a car accident and um, was off work for two and a half years in the middle of my training. So then I went back again and started a whole different specialty called Edmonton terminal and that is a really fast paced, fast, fast paced. And um, to go back after two and a half years being off a car accident where I had a really bad concussion and um, it was a tough journey recovering from that car accident. But anyway, ended back again. And uh, again, it was like, you know, stressful. And especially if you're a mom with four kids that are, you know, going to hockey and everything else you're trying to do with your kids and your family and, and do that training as well. Um, 
But training to give hope for people who come now, <laughs> training is better. Technology is better than it was back then. So, you know, it might even be a little bit easier uh, learning the job right now, depending on what specialty you go into. I'm never going to say it's not stressful. It is stressful. The training, it's much more stressful than the actual work. But the um, the training environment is also one where, um, you know, from before where it was sort of like push you and see who survives. Now it's more encouraging and trying to really help people qualify, which which is really good. It was a, a really good change because it came from the government into NAV Canada and then, you know, NAV Canada found their way and, and helped develop the training. Now, I've always known you to be working in Edmonton. Uh, have you trained in, other, rather, have you worked in other locations? Nope. For me, it was always Edmonton. I was Edmonton on, like, Edmonton on route at the very beginning of my training. And then and then when I came back up with cars, it was Edmonton Terminal. So I've been at Edmonton Terminal for a, a very long time now. And it's uh, it's a great specialty. I love it. What is your favorite part about working as a controller? There's so many things like, but, but really it's, you go in, you do your work, you leave and that's it. You're not staying up till 8am trying to finish a paper. You're not, you know, there's no, there's no, when you walk out, there's no stress that that's it. And then you go and live the rest of your life. And, um, and, you know, I don't think our traffic controllers think about this, on a daily basis or maybe ever, unless it's, unless it's brought up, but you know, you can also be really proud of the work you do. You know, you leave work that day, you've helped a whole lot of people get safely through the sky and, you know, land safely at their destination. And then you go home and there's, there's something to that simplicity and also the, the, the complexity of the work that, just makes it so satisfying and um and i think i think people are proud to be air traffic controllers so i that that maybe is my there's a whole lot more but i'll go with that one (laughs) i can imagine it would be incredibly satisfying to know that you've put in a good day's work you're as an air navigation service provider have helped people safely get where they're supposed to go and knowing that you play a critical role in aviation safety would probably also be very gratifying absolutely like i always say that Air traffic controllers are the guardians of the sky and we get to keep people safe when they, when, when, you know, we get to connect people in their dreams, people who are, who are traveling, you know, and they're going on vacation and they've dreamt of this vacation for so long. Like, you know, everyone thinks of the pilot, um, but we get to be part of that. And, and the best thing about uh, air traffic controllers and, and regarding the, the, the sort of the safety of the industry is that we all work together you know, the aircraft maintenance engineers are making sure that airplane is safe. The ground crew is out there working that aircraft and getting it to where it needs to go. The controllers are helping keep it safe. The pilots are, are flying it. The flight attendants are making sure the people are safe in the back um, and on and on and on, right? Like, like the, the business people who are, who are making sure that everyone gets their paychecks so that they want to go to work. Um, you know, there's, there's so many people that come together to make sure that this aviation industry works and that it works well, and then it works safely so that um, people want to fly. And so we get to be part of that huge picture, which is, which is kind of cool when you think of it, you know, you're, you're in aviation too. And it's, it's kind of cool that you get to be part of really what is a big industry, but it's also a big family of people who all have the same goal, which is to, to get, you know, connect people with their dreams um, or their businesses or their work or whatever it is they have to do. And, and make that happen safely. 
I know I like to joke that we all train very individually in our own facet, but then when you realize aviation is one giant team sport, it really changes the way you approach the industry and working with other people. Absolutely. You know, you never know when you're, when you're going to see someone. So it's, you know, smile. I say, you know what, one time I, um, I ushered in a, a, an airplane and uh, it was like minus 40 on the day I went out and I thought they were going to give me overalls and everything and they didn't so I was in my just normal work clothes and uh, I went over and they gave me the, the orange wands and I'm, I'm ushering in this this great big military airplane and uh, it's supposed to come in I'm supposed to usher it in and it was for it was for um, I was doing a Shaw TV show so it was part of the TV show so I'm ushering this big airplane in. He's supposed to be like, you know, five, 10 minutes tops, turn around and then, and then leave again. And then I'm supposed to usher him back out. And uh, anyway, something goes wrong. Of course, it's minus 30, minus 40, whatever, whatever. It was cold. It was minus cold. <laughs> and, um, and I'm out there and I'm freezing and we can't go in because we don't know how long they're going to be. So we're all out there standing there and I'm just frozen. I'm freezing, freezing, freezing. And I'm looking at the pilot through the window and I'm standing outside and I'm looking at him and I'm like, I'm willing him to like fix whatever he needs to fix so he can get out of here so I can go inside and get warm. And it took probably 45 minutes. And then they finally said we could go inside. So we went inside to keep warm. And then uh, eventually they called us out. They're done. We ushered the airplane and leave. And, but I thought of it at that time. And I was like, you know, um, we're all one family and we we all you know keep that in mind and i was thinking the pilots you know don't forget that the ground handlers out there are are humans and are you know are, are there waiting so if you're going to be a while think of them and tell them hey get inside you know and, and let them go inside a little bit um but that but that's something with our with our entire industry you know just realizing that we're we're all such a huge part of the industry uh, and to to have that respect for each other is is uh, something i think for the for the most part we we all really do because it's it's a wonderful industry and people are so passionate now you mentioned some of the challenges that you've had along the way with your air traffic control career how did or did not having a mentor impact your career Oh, it made my career. I wouldn't be an air traffic controller if it wasn't for my mentor. His name's John Bright. Um, he was my mentor. I didn't even know, like it was not an official mentorship. Um, but basically, you know, my story of, of training was a very long one. And um, especially with that, you know, two and a half years off in the middle of my training and coming back and, um, and even longer because when I first applied, there was a, uh, it was back when Transport Canada and Nav Canada were, were, were exchanging the ownership and there was a hiring freeze. So it took a very long time for me to finally get in. And then a very long time, um, like years before I was, I was finally there and at the point where I could qualify and I was not going to qualify. They actually did the paperwork to fire me and tell me that I was out of a job and the success rate when I was training was 7%. So I was about to become part of that great big huge percentage that was not going to be successful. And I will never forget John, Mr. Bright, we call him Mr. Bright. He, um, he just said, let me work with her. Let, let me try. And they let him. And this is the way I put it. John saw that I could do the job. He believed I could do the job, but he also saw that I didn't believe that I could do the job. I just, I didn't have the confidence. I didn't think that I deserved to be there with these strong 
men and you know, it's a couple of women that were there. Um, I just didn't believe like from, from my background where I came from, I just, I just didn't have the confidence. So John was that positive voice inside my head when I had a negative one and he, his positivity uh, helped replace my negative voice that was inside my head to the point while I needed him and, and got me to the point where I could finally believe that I could do it. And then I qualified. And, uh, and, and for me, that's what mentorship, that's one of the things that mentorship means, but that's what started for me was, was realizing that sometimes you just need to, to just hang on to other people's words who believe in you when you don't believe in yourself. And, and that's what he did for me. I can think back to the mentors I have, and there have been definitely times when them believing in me when I wasn't as confident as I could have been made all the difference. And I am forever grateful to them. Yeah. I, I remember one time I was working, um, the, the one, the one moment sort of thing that really, you know, it was all, it was all the time, all the training, all, you know, all together for this one moment. But the, but the real moment was I, I was sitting in terminal and all these airplanes were coming in. It was back in the oil, when oil patch was booming out in Alberta and city center airport was still there. And so, so city center and the international airport were right there beside each other. And it, the airplanes, Boy, if you worked between two and three o'clock, those airplanes were coming and it was crazy. And I, I remember all those airplanes, they were just coming and coming and I was clicking on them. They were getting closer and I needed to start moving. Like I needed to start talking and start hammering out those uh, clearances and, and, you know, um, and John was behind me and I remember him yelling at me and I just went, oh, and then I, something clicked in my head and I just, just started to make decisions and, and I, it, it you know, I, I qualified not long after that, but boy, you get someone that believes in you and, and pushes you, it, it can, it can make a difference in your life. In 2015, you founded Elevate Aviation, a nonprofit venture dedicated to uniting and empowering Canadian women in aviation. Could you tell us a little bit more about the origins of this organization? Yeah, well, uh, um, good question right after talking about John Bright, because, you know, in, in hindsight, or sorry, in the back of my mind, um, you know, I never forgot what, what John did for me. And so it was a great way to to really think about that when we were moving forward. And and basically, I always say Elevate was sort of a mistake. It, it wasn't sort of, I, I woke up one morning and, and thought, oh, I want to start an organization so that I have more work in my life. <laughs> um Basically, you know, I, I had been going through a divorce and was coming out of that and uh, was trying to figure out how to start my life over again. And um, I joined a group that was climbing Mount Kilimanjaro to raise money for a local hospital, the Lois Hall Hospital here in Edmonton. And I had to raise $5,000 and I was a single mom with my four kids. And I'm like, how am I going to raise $5,000 plus pay for the trip? And so I was kind of joking around and I said, well, you know, there's always jokes about making a calendar. So I'll make a calendar and, and the the air traffic control ladies that I work with they said yes and so we decided to make a calendar we we made it in two weeks two weeks later it sold out and I'd raised ten thousand dollars for the Lois Hall Hospital and um it was a couple years later that's it I, I thought it would end there but a couple years later I decided I wanted to do my own thing so I, I gathered some families and friends to to build a play area down in El Salvador and did another calendar to raise money for that and this time, instead of just all air traffic controllers, I literally walked around the airport knocking on the doors saying, do you have any women that work here that I could talk to? <laughs> um, it was very odd. Uh, but I managed to find enough to, to start a second calendar. And um, it, during that one, those women said, you know, I've never, 
I've never been around so many other women that talk about aviation. This is so cool. And so um, by that time, my daughter-in-law, Laura, uh, had helped me make that calendar because she was going down to El Salvador with us and um, kept saying, like, there's more to this. Like, there's more to this. We can't let this end. There's more to it. And um, of course, that's sort of where John comes in and mentorship. And so a mentorship was formed and then it's just, it just keeps growing. It just keeps growing since then. So I've been very blessed with all the people that are, that are helping be part of that growth and, and helping to change some lives. I know the first time I was at an Elevate event and surrounded by all the women that were in the calendar that year and all the other women from previous calendars who were there to help and make the entire event wonderful. I was shocked at how many cool aviation women we had in one room. It truly blew my mind. Isn't it powerful? It was very powerful. It changed my perspective on a lot of different things. And it, uh, and Elevate was the first place in aviation I felt where I belonged. Aww, I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. And that, and that's the point, right? Like just, just to, I didn't know, I didn't know when all this started that it would be this place that um, so many women would come to and, and, um, and go off and do other things. And there's so many women that, that we've, that have volunteered or, or just been, you know, around Elevate, um, but who have also gone off and, and done other things inside, you know, with their own lives. And, and, and some of that, if any of it, it, it comes from the confidence of the people that they've met and friends that they've made through Elevate. Um, that's just something that we get to sort of have a warm, glowy feeling inside our heart to think that, you know, maybe on some tiny, tiny, tiny level, you know, we could have had some little part of that path. What surprised you most as you began the mentorship initiative with Elevate? I think what surprised me the most was um, how much it's grown and it only grows because there's a need for it. And, um, you know, and it keeps growing. It continues to grow. And, And what I've learned through the growth of all of Elevate, but including the mentorship program, is just how much of my own thoughts are also in other people's heads. You know, we we have a lot of the same thoughts and um, hearing how many other women have that as well, um, at first was a bit surprising because I thought it was only me. And then hearing the, about women who say they don't have it at all is also very interesting to me and, and, and diving into their stories and, and their backgrounds and, and figuring out, you know, the difference between the women who, who have that voice and the women that don't have that voice. And um, so I think that that was my biggest thing. And now, of course, we have a leadership. You were on one of our leadership masterclasses. And, and you know, that really stems from, from all of this mentorship. And the realizing that there's so many women and maybe men too, I'm not excluding men, but just talking uh, from what I've learned about women is that, um, you know, it's, it's very true that women often have to be invited to apply on a job or given encouragement to, to do stuff like that. And um, not all women, but there's a lot of them. And so I, I think just like diving deeper into all that subject where at first, it, you know, that probably I was like, oh, other people feel like me. <laughs> that was probably my biggest surprise. And, and then getting to dive into that and, and creating programs to, to help other women. So, so they don't have to hopefully spend as much time there as I did. One of the most bizarre and freeing moments I've had as both a mentee and a mentor were, there, were times when I would have a mentee say something to me 
that I had thought to myself verbatim and never voiced aloud. And now I was hearing someone repeat my own thoughts back at me. Um, so the idea of sort of prevalent attitudes or little voices that tell you that you can and cannot do something, realizing that a lot of other people, particularly women in our experiences, but men as well, have those voices really made me feel a lot better knowing that everyone else felt the way I did too. The power of sharing that, and that's why that's another reason why, right. We talk about this stuff. That's why these podcasts are good. That's why, um, you know, mentorship is good. The, the power of sharing and realizing you're not alone in these thoughts and you're not, you're not alone ever in your fear and, and, and you know, in your doubt, you're not alone and nor do you have to listen to it. And, you know, when you, when you have other people telling you that, then that's, you know, also where confidence comes from. And, um, and you can go much further in life with a mentor, I believe, than without. Now, having such a diverse background in aviation due to your work with Elevate, how does this impact you in your day-to-day as the executive director? I think one of the biggest things for me is that as, I, as I've gotten to know more than air traffic control and gotten to know, you know, more pilots and more AMEs and more aerospace engineers and on and on and on, more business aviation, more everything, um, there's so many things. And one of the things is being inclusive, trying to make sure whatever we do with Elevate, um, even in conversations, we're always inclusive because people feel left out. You know, uh, I've talked to FSS who feel left out uh, because the conversation is always around ATC. I've talked to, um, you know, AMEs who feel left out uh, because it's, it's always with the pilots or uh, that, you, you know, I could go on and on and on and, and not just calling those people out and not everyone feels that way again. <laughs> but um, I think it's just being, being inclusive of everyone and trying to make sure that everyone is aware, you know, bringing people together so that like you, when you mentioned that you came up to our, our gala and you met all these other women in aviation and connecting you you as in whoever you are, but you, uh, with these other women in aviation, you grow this respect for what other people do. And you want to learn that you can't, you can't unlearn that. And, and you want to share it with everyone else. Right. And, and so I think that's one of the biggest things, um, that I try to do in my role at Elevate is, is just making sure that everyone feels included. Everyone feels like they're important when they, when they come into our organization or, or what they're doing. Um, Cause like we said earlier, like every job in aviation is important. That airplane, those people going on vacation need every single person who's in aviation to do their job. And so if we all just remember that as a group and, and um, celebrate that with each other, like the Northern Lights celebrates um, a, a multitude of women from all facets of aviation. So I think that's one of the things just, just remembering and it's, it's, you know, it's not all about air traffic controllers, <laughs> you know? And so as I grew in my knowledge about all the different careers that are out there um, and having our programs so that, you know, um, like our mentorship, for example, we have a military aspect to our, our mentorship program as well, because the military have different needs than civilian as far as our mentorship goes. Um, and so just basically how, how we do it, how, how it's set up and who we connect them with. So um, it's just, you know, being inclusive of that as well. So for instance, we're actually adding a, a whole new military tab on our website coming up pretty soon because we've realized that in order to serve them better, we can do better. And so it's really just trying to 
to to be inclusive of everyone and and serving everyone the best way that we can so that everyone could be the best that they could be. As someone that is personally part of many different sort of women in aviation groups, I really enjoy the ones that are exclusively pilots. But what has been the most rewarding for me has been Elevate because I've gotten to learn all the different roles and meet people in those roles. And when I have questions about another part of the industry, I already have a contact there. I know someone. I can have someone to ask my questions to. And my appreciation for the industry at large really began to develop beyond just the pilot silo once I was able to be exposed to these other jobs through Elevate. Yeah. And you know what? Like, I love that about Elevate too. I love it so much. I also think that um, there's a need for the other organizations like the 99s. Um, They're just for pilots, but holy cow, are they ever needed? Now, what for you is the most rewarding aspect of working with Elevate? For me, the most rewarding thing is just seeing and again, there's so many things I can say, <laughs> um, but I'm going to say watching, watching our team grow. And I, I don't mean in numbers large, I mean, personally themselves, like I've grown so much through Elevate and I watch other people grow so much and it's so satisfying. It's like that warm glow I was talking about earlier, like, you know, whether I have any right to take any warm glow out of it, I am. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I see some of these people and, um, you know, uh, uh, someone we both know, there's a lady in Edmonton, her name's Sophia Wells. And when I first met her, I remember she wouldn't share her story. And uh, she'll be okay with me sharing this story right now. I sh- I'm sure she will. Um, but, you know, she, she wouldn't share her story. And, um, and then after being with Elevate for a little while and, and through different reasons, um, she started sharing her personal story with, with kids and, and her struggle that, that she had, her personal journey. And so, you know, that and, and just watching, she's on boards now and, um, you know, just, just watching people grow is, and, and that's one example. There's so many. And I get to, I get to kind of just watch that and, uh, and then my own growth too, because, you know, of course, meeting all these different people and, and doing all these different projects and, and some very large projects, you know, that, that's a lot of personal growth as well in there. So, um, but yeah, definitely, definitely the personal growth. And, and that's really the reason, it's really, really the reason why Elevate's here and the awareness and getting more women in. There's so many reasons. <laughs> You've received numerous awards and recognition over the past six years. Particularly in 2019, you were made the Honorary Colonel of RCAF 417 Helicopter Squadron in Cold Lake. In 2020, you were the recipient of the Northern Lights Aero Foundation's Trailblazer Award, and you have also received the Global Women of Vision Award and the NAV Canada Chairman's Award. What has this meant for you personally? What it means to me really is it's, it's a recognition of our team. This is the way I look at it. If I get an award, it's about our team. And, and all the people who've done so much work, like, you know, the award is because of the work we're doing with Elevate and the work we're doing with Elevate isn't happening without, you know, the Ontario team down there, uh, the Northern team, the, all the teams that are going across Canada, our team at Edmonton. I mean, they're, you know, them, they're the hardest working, most passionate people. Um, and it's, it's all about the team. So it's just, I feel like it means the work we're doing together matters. It's making a difference. You know, people are noticing it and people are noticing it, then we're making a difference. And, you know, it's worth it. 
what we're doing is worth it. It's, it's making a difference. And, and that, and that's just, I think the awards are just sort of, you know, confirming that, that we are making a difference and, and who doesn't want to do that? You are also particularly active as an honorary Colonel. Could you tell me a little bit more about this role? The honorary Colonel role is the biggest honor of my life. Oh, I'm in love with my squadron. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, not, not just to say that my squadron, I always joke, I have the best squadron in the world, but, you know, all of them, like what I've learned, it's given me an opportunity to learn about our Canadian military and um, how hard they work and what they do for their country. You know, it's different, you know, in America, everyone, you know, a lot of people have their flags that, you know, they, they, they fly the flag at home and or on their trucks sometimes. Um, you know, we don't necessarily do that here in Canada so much. But, you know, maybe we should do more of it, like what they do. So my squadron is a, is a search and rescue squadron. And they've gone out and, and res- they rescue people. Like they save people's lives. They're, they're superheroes. They're like real live superheroes of the sky. So you might watch, uh, I don't know, Superman on TV. That's great. And when you're watching the next Marvel comic or whatever with all these superheroes, just remember that we actually have real live ones here in Canada and, uh, and they're in our Canadian military. And I've had, um, oh my goodness, I've been so fortunate. I've done RUIT training down in Halifax where uh, you have to, they train you to an escape out of a helicopter that crashes in the water. And that was maybe the most intense thing I've ever done in my life. Um, but, and, and I've, I've got to do some other things I like find with my squadron, but basically just learning about them and being around them and, and sitting around with them and, and COVID has stopped that for the past year, which has been very sad. I, I only got to go up once this past year um, because they, they just, you know, you, they don't want people up there right now during COVID, of course. Um, but getting to know them is um, and how fantastic they are and really what they do is, is, is just an honor of a lifetime. Just, just an honor of a lifetime. I, th- I think more people should look into the honorary colonel role and see what it is, and and um, you know maybe it's something that uh, other people might be interested in. And uh, so yeah, check it out and see if it's something maybe maybe one day someone might be interested in it. Now, who is someone in aviation you admire and why? There are so many people I admire. You know, we could. I can't even start listing them because I don't want to list. I don't want. I don't want to leave people out. So um, I think the top of my list of people I admire. Oh my gosh, there's so many in my head right now. But the top of the list of people I admire in aviation, I'm just going to go with. Um, it's got to be the military. Now, the Royal Canadian Air Force. You can't. You can't not admire them. You can't not admire people who show up to go to work to help other people and to keep our country safe and to keep people safe, like my search and rescue squadron. Like it's, they are, they're, they're, they're literally my superheroes and I'll say that forever. (laughs) What are some things you enjoy outside of aviation? Well, of course I have a family. Um, So my family is number one. I I have um, six kids. I've, four of my own and, and two that were brought to me um, through my partner, Corey, and uh, three grandkids. 
And so spending time with them, of course, I love, I love travel, I love scuba diving. And although I just, you know, last January is the first time I did it, but I fell in love with it out in Thailand and, um, and uh, hiking. Uh, I took up swimming because I was going to do my first triathlon, but uh, COVID has stopped that. But I hear the pools might open next week, so we'll be back to that. So really just trying to keep active and doing things. Um, keeping active makes me happy. And so as long as, I, as long as I'm keeping active, I'm, I'm happy. And so that's what I really like to do. Now, what advice would you have for someone considering a career in aviation? So this is my advice for people who want to enter aviation who are looking at it right now. Right now, the aviation industry is is going through a very tough time with COVID and everything that's happening with COVID. Um, but I don't think that that should deter anyone from looking at aviation. Aviation is a place where people who are in it are passionate. And honestly, I don't know where you can find more passionate people than in aviation, um, especially, you know, students who are in school right now and they're trying to figure out what to do with their life. Like, please look at aviation. Um, you know, we are going to climb out of this and pilots will be back in the sky flying, which is where they want to be. And, um, you know, everyone else will be back to work and uh, everyone, almost every single person I've talked to who's in aviation says, they wouldn't want to be anywhere else because once you once you find aviation, it gets it gets in your blood and and you you can't let it go. Whatever aspect that is for each for me, it's air traffic control, of course, and um, and now elevate. Um, so I think if people want to be in aviation, find a mentor. Uh, they can find a mentor with Elevate Aviation. We can hook you up with someone for free to talk to about whatever career aspect you want to go in. We have lots of stuff on our website as well. There's other organizations as well you can reach out to. There's a conference with the Canadian Women Aviation. Uh, there's the, the Northern Lights who go on their website and look at all the, uh, they have a mentorship program as well. And you can look at past winners um, to, to get ideas of different careers that are out there in aviation. Um, so really ask questions and, and get a mentor, find a mentor. And, and those are the two big steps, I think, to, to really start your career path in aviation. Because if you, if you can get hooked up with someone who's already a pilot or already um, a lawyer in aviation or whatever, whatever it is that you want to be in aviation, if you can be hooked up with someone who's already successful and working in there, they can really help you on your career path and, and help you, you know, give you ideas that maybe you didn't think of and of your career choice going forward. Now, would you please share with me a favorite memory or highlight from any point in your career? It has to be the day I qualified as an air traffic controller. The amount of work, the years it took me to do that with, with my kids and um, just the struggle I had through, through the entire thing. Um, the day I qualified as an air traffic controller, it changed my life. It, it changed my life. It, it, I don't know where I'd be today if that day didn't happen. So, um, yeah, that was definitely, that was definitely the highlight of my career. So now before we wrap up today, where can our listeners find you on social media? Well, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, just Kendra Kincaid, K-I-N-C-A-D-E. Find me on LinkedIn. Um, or if you're on Facebook, I'm on Facebook and, uh, or Instagram, under Kendra Kincaid as well. Uh, or you can just find me through the Elevate Aviation at elevateaviation.ca. 
We will be sure to have all those links in the episode description for our listeners. Kendra Kincaid, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you and uh, keep doing a good job. You're doing great. The Holding Short Podcast is a production of Holding Short Media. The show is written and hosted by me, Laura Matheson, and edited and produced by Cameron Bokoff. Our music is an original composition of Riley Searles. If you would like to learn more about the show, the Holding Short Podcast is on Instagram and Facebook at Holding Short Media. Please subscribe, rate, and review us. Thank you.